I think we've, we've really felt, uh, I think many of us, uh, may, maybe not everyone all of the time, so um, you really feel the sense of um, the metta building up yeah, over the days, um, and particularly between us. You know, there's been kind of this ongoing metta meditation sometimes of people looking at the screen. It's been quite moving uh, to see. Um, and, you know, we might take some time to just kind of ponder, <laughs> what is that? You know, how is that? How, how does it happen? You know, you just sit with a bunch of people on the screen for six days. Um, or, you know, it's not even six yet. Um, and something really builds up, a sense of connection. You know, many of them, you know, haven't even heard their voice. Yeah don't know anything about them and yet something uh, something happens yeah something builds up with particular conditions and so you know I just want to point to that because I think this is you know there's a lot of insights from this yeah. about um, you know these themes oh, sorry I've got the light wrong Just a second. Hopefully that's better. So how, you know, how does that happen? There's a lot of insights there yeah, for, for us to, to ponder and to uncover about just about the power of intention, um, the power of community, um, but also really about, you know, the fabrication of experience, you know, this theme that we've been hammering away at for <laughs> the days, you know, boring you with again and again, fabrication, yeah. Uh, experience is shaped yeah, and often we just you know it's there we you know it's obvious but we just we just don't notice it because we're not looking for it you know not looking in that way so we're like, oh, that was really beautiful this is really beautiful I'm really moved I'm really touched by something and then, ah what's actually going on there not as a way of decreasing the beauty of the experience at all <laughs> yeah that's uh, so quite the opposite, but kind of bringing in that, ah, oh, what can I see here? How can I deepen my understanding? And then how does this make this more applicable in more situations? Yeah. So this is kind of one example of one of the things I'd like to speak about today. You know, these teachings, these practices, they're really practical for our lives. They're really applicable for our lives. At the same time, they're not something we need to figure out completely in these six days, you know. And it can be beautiful, that movement of the heart and mind, to really want to understand, you know, to want to get it. Yeah? It's beautiful, it's important, it's valuable. But we can also say, okay, but, you know, I can feel that and I also can remember, I don't need to figure it all out um, completely. 
on this retreat. Uh, I don't even, you know, I don't think it's possible. Yeah. You know, Buddha, years of practice and 40 days under the tree. <laughs> yeah. 40 days and nights. Okay, days and nights. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, we can feel, the, the, you know, both, that, both those things. We can feel perhaps the urgency or the curiosity or the interest. And we can also feel that, ah, the space, the time, the possibility, the patience. Yeah. And, you know, this goes along with something we've been saying today. You know, it's also not just something to intellectually understand. Yeah. The intellectual grappling with things is important, it has its value. But this isn't just something that we accept or not, agree with or disagree with. Yeah? The teachings to explore at our own pace. Yeah? Something to try out in our own experience. And this, it's endless, actually. Yeah? can get more and more refined, more and more subtle understanding. Yeah? And I'm saying this, you know, I'm saying this because People who I trust have told me that. I'm nowhere near <laughs> that end of, of the journey. Yeah. It's an experiential understanding. Again and again, we experience, we deepen, we, we feel, we absorb, we rest into any well-being that comes. Yeah. And supports that soaking in of the understanding and the insight. And we apply. Yeah, and we apply. Yeah, what we see, what we understand, what we've learnt. So one thing I wanted to, to touch on today is just to see the convergence, the coming together yeah, of um, different practices we've explored. You know, like sometimes um, when you're when you're in nature, you see like two rivers coming together, yeah, confluence. You ever seen that? It's really powerful, <laughs> really beautiful. Here in Israel, we haven't got anything like that <laughs> to any significant degree. One river, um, but I've certainly seen it in other places. Anyway, that's a sidetrack. Yeah. So seeing this confluence of the different practices we've explored. For example, yesterday, I'm going to ask you, can you see the connection between the dukkha practice that we did in retreat morning time, yeah, the relaxing of the contraction, and the meta way of meeting sounds and sensations that we did in the last meditation? Yeah. Did anyone notice Anything about those two practices? Silence. So they're actually very much the same thing. Yeah. Two ways of practicing the same thing. Yeah. So in one practice we were kind of noticing contraction and then in different ways relaxing it or inviting it to relax. In the other practice, we were welcoming and allowing yeah, and meeting sensations and sounds with uh, tenderness. Yeah. And that yeah, relaxes contraction or um, even um, 
kind of the contraction doesn't even build up when that field is strong enough. So the two practices, the instructions yesterday and the guided meditation. Instructions of uh, the dukkha way of looking, of relaxing, contraction, and the metta, two sound and sensations that we did in the, the last meditation of the day. Yeah. So both of these practices, they do the same thing. They're two ways of doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Does this make sense to people? Yeah. They both open up the space, relax, yeah, contraction, and uh, reduce tana, reduce dukkha. And so this evening, um, Nathan will um, also be kind of guiding us in a further expansion of this practice, yeah, of this metta to sensations and metta to phenomena. Right, see if we can kind of go even a little bit deeper with that practice, the way, um, the meta way of meeting phenomena. Yeah. And what we'll see, yeah, perhaps, and one is, even if the anatta practice uh, this morning wasn't accessible for you, you might find that this practice is. This is also something interesting. Yeah. And what we'll see that those two practices do something similar. Yeah. They dissolve um, the boundaries, yeah, boundaries between self and other, the boundaries of phenomena itself. Mm-hmm. Boundaries of phenomena itself. And, you know, you don't need to agree or disagree with me now. You can see what happens in the guided practice. So the different threads of the practice, um, of the practices, come together support each other and through them yeah through them we um we increase the sensitivity of the mind the pliability of the mind the flexibility of the mind the heart mind the chitta we increase our sensitivity to see what is present and to see what is possible yeah. and to meet new and unfamiliar aspects of this human unfolding so you know, a lot of you know a lot of you have been voicing this. You know, it's like sometimes in some in some of the practices. You know, many people here. This is your first retreat, um, so sometimes just the just the intensity of the practice, and we get to some unfamiliar, yeah, unfamiliar aspects of the human experience, and we take it at our own pace with that. So we increase the sensitivity, the pliability and the flexibility of the heart and mind to see what's present, to see what's possible and to meet new and unfamiliar aspects of this human unfolding. Sometimes we speak about meditation as listening. Meditation practice is listening. And it's as if um, we kind of, we increase the range of what we hear, of what we listen to. So we know this, right, about nature. You know, we know that dogs, for example, hear frequencies that we don't hear. Mm. Or there's, you know, birds see colors that we don't. Yeah. It's, quite, it's quite amazing to think about that. <laughs> so there's, so, you know, we, we just see one part, one, you know, one part of what's going on. And, and through practice, you know, that increases. 
I, I'm not promising you that you'll hear <laughs> what dogs hear, or that you'll necessarily see more colours. Maybe. I don't know. But the range, yeah, the range of what we perceive, the range of what we, yeah, what we hear, what we come into contact with, that grows. And I'd like to to share a, 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 an example. I hope I'll be coherent with it because um, it's quite recent. Um, so I mentioned, you know, that we've recently been on retreat for a few weeks. Um, and at, um, about a week after I came off retreat, um, I participated in a, in a meeting that um, I'm part of a group that's been meeting for a couple of months now. And it consists of, um, it's even, even hard for me to say, <laughs> it consists of um, Israelis, both people who live in settlements in the West Bank in the occupied Palestinian territories and um, other Jewish Israelis who um, have very different views, <laughs> yeah. like me. And we're meeting around a particular theme of, of um, environmental action yeah. So we're meeting around a theme of environmental action in the area where Nathan and I have been active, you know, for 15 years now. No, sorry, 11. 11 years um, active in supporting the Palestinian farmers in that, in that area. So as you can imagine, it's, it's slightly challenging for me. <laughs> okay, so we're meeting around an environmental issue in an area which is very close to my heart, yeah. without the Palestinians. Yeah. But the way the meetings are held is the idea is that we form a dialogue. So we're still in this, we're not in the action stage, we're in the dialogue stage of getting to know each other. So it's got multiple um, goals. Yeah? And the interest for me and for I think everyone in that group is to actually meet people that we normally um, would not have contact with and that, you know, Israeli society is very polarised yeah. and when you don't have contact with and that we might feel we share very little with and to actually find the commonality, find the dialogue, see the humanity. So, three and a half weeks on retreat, <laughs> doing, you know, mostly, uh, I wasn't doing meta practice, I was doing other practices and a week after coming off retreat, going to one of these meetings, and I'll say the previous meetings were really challenging for me. Yeah, really, really challenging. And so here I am, yeah, I come to this meeting on Zoom, like, like here. And I was aware that whole week that there was a really strong after effect of the retreat, even though I wasn't practicing metta, the after effect was metta. So the whole cheetah, the, the heart, mind, were really permeated, really suffused with metta. And my whole heart, mind, very soft, very open, yeah, very porous, you know, like um, not, um, what's, what's a good word of explaining porous? 
not solid, like very, very open. Yeah, very, very open. And then I'm there, yeah, and people are speaking. And I just feel this incredible love, yeah, incredible love, unconditional love, yeah. And a few interesting things with that, yeah, there were a few interesting things, yeah. And I've been able to be in that space before with work. <laughs> I've, I've met settlers regularly, so I've been able to do this with kind of a lot of work in the moment. But this time it was like, ah, no work, just the state of the cheetah, like that. So a few interesting things with that, you know, so we, you know, I was in a dialogue with just one other person. And I'm in this like space of you know, unconditional love. And then that impacts the other person, you know. And suddenly he's sharing things with me, you know, and he's he's been living in a settlement since 1976. Okay. First, first, some of the first to to to, to make that step. Yeah. And he's sharing with me his feelings and his ideas and how he would like to see the future. I just think if some of my Palestinian friends heard this, it's exactly the same. Yeah, They're actually wanting the same thing in this case. But something about that space of metta which allows the other to also shed their boundaries, yeah, to feel safe, and to say things that, again, some of his settler friends, perhaps, would be, you know, not very happy to hear. Yeah. It's kind of wow. So that was one one aspect. The other was what was happening internally <laughs> for me, you know, and, and it took me a while to realize the field of metta was so strong, yeah. The sense of self so um subtle. The love, yeah, so palpable that a lot of the views that I hold were just not accessible. <laughs> I could see my mind kind of saying, but, you know, but, and it just wasn't catching. It was really interesting, yeah. Really, really interesting, yeah. Just love, just seeing the humanity, yeah. And with enough um, trust, yeah, in the practice, enough trust in knowing, uh, coming in and out of these states, yeah, knowing I'm not, you know, it's okay. <laughs> I'm not giving up on what I value. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah, but it's really significant to, to view things like this. Yeah. And to still be able to to voice what's important to me. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm not sure how I'm if I'm managing to articulating this, but it, to articulate this is really profound. Sense. Even these views that are so much part of me, they're not getting built up right now. And I can choose, yeah, I can choose to voice them. That choice is still there. But it's coming from a different place. Yeah. Coming from a different place. So what does this open up for us? Yeah. What does this open up for us? What can we learn? What can we learn? So the Buddha had this wonderful one-liner. He said, you know, fools 
look for experiences, seek experiences. The wise seek to understand experience. And so it's not about getting a certain experience. It's about understanding the experiences we have. Not about reaching a particular state or living just one way of looking. This is the truth. It's like this, just unconditional love. (laughs) No. Unconditional love and addressing injustice. (laughs) We can do both. Deep understanding of what's at the roots of suffering. Of human suffering, and the kind of suffering it's created on our, creating on our planet, a deep understanding of that and its non-personal nature, and then deep care and action, yeah, for this earth and for all its beings. We don't need to choose between those two, yeah. And how that comes together, yeah, is different for each of us. And it's different at different times, but it's really important. We're not choosing just one thing. This understanding goes deep. It comes back to what we're speaking about today, this sense of self. Buddha, you know, quoted this, but how many times do I need to hear it? Neither, yeah, neither self nor not-self, yeah? And we so want as human beings that certainty, yes or no. (laughs) Give me something to argue with. (laughs) Yeah? But a spectrum, yeah? We move along a spectrum. Sometimes it's useful for that sense of self to be more clear and more distinct. Sometimes it's useful for it to be more light and more porous, more permeable. What matters is that we remember there's a spectrum, there's appropriateness. We can move. And this is, again, something that we learn through practice, is this capacity to move along the spectrum. With a sensitivity to see what is appropriate. What matters is that we remember this isn't real in the way I'm taking it to be right now. Yeah, if I'm kind of some serious papancha thought storm. Yeah, it's a very strong emotion. I can honor that, I can respect that, I can care for that, and I can also remember it's not real, as real. It's not real in the way that I'm taking it to be right now. There's more. There's more than just this. So one way that um, the teachings refer to this sense of self, which I really love, um, is um, through this word, the aggregates, the kandas in Pali. Nathan was touching on them. I think maybe he didn't name them today. Um, And this word literally means heaps or gatherings, piles of things. (laughs) Yeah. So this whole, you know, sense of self, yeah, it's made up of these heaps of things, you know, a heap of form. Yeah, of body, yeah. a heap of Vedana, yeah. of this pleasant, not pleasant, neither or, a heap of perception, 
a heap of fabrication, a heap of consciousness or awareness of this knowing. Yeah? And you know, don't worry about remembering what they are. <laughs> what matters is you know, this whole thing is made up of heaps, of heaps, of heaps, things that are coming together. Yeah? Things that are coming together, endless. Yeah. And this image um, used in the teaching is an agricultural image from the time, but it's very beautiful. Like, um, like um, sheaves of rice leaning against each other. Yeah, you know when the, when the rice is harvested in the fields. Yeah, I think in some parts I've seen it in some parts of India certainly still. You know when the sh- when the rice is harvested and it's tied up in these bundles. Yeah, and these bundles yeah lean on each other and then they stand up in a in a pile. Yeah. That's a good way of putting them together so that they dry. Yeah. So one of the images is, you know, the sense of self or any phenomena, yeah, any phenomena is like these yeah, bundles of rice or wheat or any other crop leaning on each other, mutually dependent. Yeah. So the body whole mental and emotional life, awareness itself, this knowing, leaning on each other. So the sense of of self is these heaps leaning on each other, and so is everything else. And I love this image. Things just leaning on each other. And we think of ourselves, our own experience, you know. What is it made of? The sense of, of me. Yeah? And, in the, and in the most beautiful sense, you know, who I am, my qualities, the qualities that come through my gifts, my skills, are they mine? Where did they come from? You know, they're these bundles, leaning. Yeah? From genetics and society and family history. Yeah? and physical history, so many things. And so this, and also the whole world, (laughs) whole world leans, the teacher that likes to say that, that, and I like to quote her, whole world leans, anything, anything that we look at, we can see, made up of heaps of things leaning on each other. And so hopefully when we see this, yeah, we can feel that what it points to is also our connectedness. Yeah. So actually that we're not alone. Yeah. But we're, you know, made up of everything else. And also contributing. Yeah. So this body, heart, mind made up of things leaning on each other and also being its own bundle of rice. Other bundles of rice are leaning on. Hopefully when we see this, this nourishes a sense of lightness. Sometimes it can nourish a headache. (laughs) Heaps and heaps and leaning and what? And who? (laughs) Remember, take it slowly. Don't rush. It's too much. Just bring in metta. It's all we need. You know, love is all we need. 
in the realm of metta practice. Mm-hmm. And hopefully it nourishes a lightness to experience, less heaviness, less sense of limitation. And this is one way that we can tell sometimes that the practice is doing its job. Yeah. Is that there's some degree of lightness. Yeah. Some degree of um, less limitation and less sense of heaviness. And just to say, you know, this can be sometimes, you know, initially, we might think, oh, I don't want that. <laughs> yeah. I don't like this. That's fine. It can be an acquired taste. You know, I remember when I was a kid, I didn't like mushrooms or cauliflower. It changed with time. Yeah. This might too. Yeah. This might too. So it's an, it can be an acquired taste. And take your time. Yeah. Give it time. Don't rush. If there is more sense of lightness, we can see that when there's more lightness, there's more space. And we come back right to what we've been talking about from the beginning. When there's more sense of lightness, there's also more sense of space. Both within things and around things. Within things and around things. And when there's more space, there's less dukkha. So we're kind of coming back to that. And this, of course, is something that we can apply yeah, beyond the formal practice. Yeah. Applied in the formal practice on the cushion, but also beyond that. In our lives, in our relationships, in our commitments. Yeah. Whatever they are. We can say, okay, what can bring some lightness now? What can I put down? So much of the time we're carrying things that we don't really need to carry. Yeah. What can I put down right now? What will bring a sense of lightness? Can I open out and expand the space in the body in awareness? It's such a useful skill. Can I soften contraction? Yeah, either directly through the body or through bringing metta in. Can I let things flow through me? Yeah. Let things flow through rather than get solidified. And maybe if you like this heaps of heaps, we can ask, how are things leaning? What is leaning together right now to shape this experience? What's leaning together to shape this experience? That opens up so many possibilities. Experience is fabricated and it fabricates. I'll come back to that. So many possibilities. So at this point on the retreat, um, you know, for many of you, and we've been receiving some of these questions, even though I think most of you have been either (laughs) deeply kind of um, immersed in the practice and not even aware that the retreat is coming to an end, um, or just kind of not bringing those questions to us. But for many of us, you know, the question naturally arises, what next? You know, how do we keep the practice going? How do we keep insights alive? 
beyond the particular sets of conditions of retreat. And we'll talk about this more tomorrow, but I also like to address it. We like to speak about it also on this day, yeah, not to leave everything to the end. Yeah. How do we do that? And so the possibilities are infinite, but what helps is to remember metta, yeah, insight, they're for life, yeah, they're for our lives, and they are to be lived. I've been saying it again since the opening talk. If that's all you remember <laughs> from this retreat, I'll be satisfied. Yeah. Metta and insights are for life and they are to be lived. And that's how we keep the practice going. Yeah. That's how we keep the practice going. By kind of asking, okay, what would metta look like now? How do I bring it in? Yeah. What does it mean to live insight and to live metta? One image of that that I have is um, expanding, yeah, kind of, like some of you have heard me say this, imagining that my cushion, my meditation cushion or my meditation seat expands, <laughs> yeah, and it includes, yeah, all of my life. It's kind of as if my seat is stuck to my bottom and I can't get rid of it. Wherever I go, there it is. The practice goes with me. Yeah. Or I imagine that my meditation seat is as large as the world. Yeah? It contains it all. It's all sitting there. The whole world is here with us on this cushion or on this seat. So we take the metta, we take the insight from the retreat, we take what we've cultivated and what we've seen, and we keep applying it and exploring it. Yeah. For example, you know, I've seen, you know, I think all of you, all of you have seen, to some degree, that the way you relate yeah, to something impacts the degree of dukkha. Yeah. And I've heard that from every single person I've spoken to. Yeah. How I relate impacts the degree of dukkha. And so I take that insight and I live it. Yeah. Can I remember this when I'm having an argument with fill in the dots? <laughs> my colleague, my child, <laughs> my parent, my partner my neighbor, mm -hmm. myself, yeah. can I remember this? How I'm relating to this right now impacts the experience. Yeah. And so then can I remember what happens if I relax the contraction? Yeah. What happens if I bring metta in towards myself or towards the other? Yeah. And I play with that. You know, I don't bring it in and expect a particular result, but I'm interested to see what happens when I do this. Yeah. And, as happens with arguments, you may miss the opportunity in the moment because they are so engaging. <laughs> yeah. So it may be that, you know, the interaction passed, I didn't remember, I got caught up, and guess what? doesn't matter. 
we can still apply the insight. We can still live it. So we realize, yeah, just like with distraction on the cushion. Yeah. Oh, I was distracted. Oh, I got caught in that. But what now? Here's the possibility. Right now I'm not. Yeah. So I can take time to bring in the memory. Yeah. And to bring in the insights. To look at that interaction, to look at that happening. And to say, how can I look at it differently in ways that reduce dukkha? What happens if I bring metta to myself, to the other? Now. That still matters. Yeah? It's never too late. It still matters because we're continuing both to shape our own heart minds. Yeah? What we do yeah, becomes a habit. Yeah? So we're continuing to shape our hearts and mind. And also, I can tell you this from my own experience, we do this enough. Yeah? And some really difficult relationships can change over time. Yeah? It can change over time. Either with a particular person or sometimes, you know, we're carrying a certain dynamic that gets repeated. And that can change over time. So it's never too late. Yeah, it's never too late. So some things that can help us to remember our insights or to apply our insights and to apply metta in our lives. Yeah. One is remember what worked for you. Yeah. Remember what worked for you. What were the practices? What were the times of day? Yeah. What was the posture? Yeah. What was the way of looking? What did it feel like in the body? What was the texture? You know, I'm going to get a little bit more poetic here because different things work for different people. What was the texture of the experience? What was the soundtrack? <laughs> yeah. What was the flavor? What was the fragrance? Are there images that come with that? That can lead us back to that insight, that can lead us back to the metta, that can inspire us. Yeah. That can nourish confidence. This is so important on the path. Yeah. So remembering your insights, remembering your experiences on retreat, really important nourishes confidence because very quickly our mind will come in and say oh no that no 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 not really no you can't no you think you can do that no you can't no wasn't what you thought yeah so we need this yeah this remembering actively knowing it reminds us of what is possible of what is possible for each of us yeah and that it's not somewhere out there, it's in here. Yeah. It's in here. It's possible. So remembering yeah, images, textures, flavors, postures, practices, what worked. Clarity of intention. Yeah. Clarity of intention. 
you know, what practice do I wish to um, go with into, into the next period of my life? Really helpful. What quality or attitude do I wish to cultivate? Really helpful. Making it accessible. And then having continuity of intention, coming back to that, keeping it alive like watering a plant. And the last thing that's really helpful is inclusivity. So as you know, we are experiencing here in retreat, the retreat is far from over. Yeah, still have quite a stretch of it left. Sorry to tell you. <laughs> what we're experiencing um, is that all the moments of our experience are part of the process. And that's also something we need to remember. Yeah, inclusivity. So the moments when we forget or we feel like we've failed, they're meaningful on this path. Because yeah? they're part of our learning process. Part of our learning process. Just like we learn to walk or talk as children. If a child refused to make mistakes, how far would they get? Or any of us, you know, similarly as adults. I mean, I have this. I don't take learning languages very seriously. (laughs) And part of it is, you know, I don't like to make mistakes. So, you know, if we bring that in, include that. When we forget, when we fail. Yeah, that's part of the process. We learn from that and we can bring metta to them, we can bring insight to them. So these questions, I'll kind of offer a few questions. Like, where is the metta now? What can it look like? And how can I see this in ways that bring freedom, whatever the this is? Remembering all phenomena arise dependent on other things. Nothing is separate, nothing is independent of other causes and conditions, including the mind. Some final words for today, not for the retreat, just for today. What would it be like to live in a world of metta? I'm dropping in that question and I really invite you to let it kind of come in. What would it be like to live in a world of metta? What would it be like? And this is something we can do on a daily basis. Please ask ourselves this, what would it be like? And to let ourselves feel it because we know what it would be like. Let ourselves feel it. And can we remember that we are all creators and shapers, fabricators of the world. 
Yeah. Each of us. Shapers, creators, fabricators of the world. When we cultivate metta in our hearts and minds, when we cultivate metta in our actions, in our speech, in our thought, we give birth to metta in the world again and again and again. Every moment, every moment. So what would it be like to live in a world of metta? And we can find our ways to remember this and to remind ourselves of this and to embody this. I was reflecting on this talk, I uh, remembered this scene from this um, film, One Giant Leap. I don't know, it's from quite a few years ago. I don't know how many of you know it. It's a group of musicians that traveled around the world and they both interviewed people from different cultures and different places and also recorded musicians in different places and then put the music together. It's quite, it's quite amazing. Wait till after the retreat to look for it, <laughs> please. Anyway, there's one scene there that really stayed with me. Yeah, they're interviewing this uh, group of, um, I hope I'm using the right language here, um, of Native Americans um, in North America. And one of them, um, he, he says, you know, he tells the interviews how he keeps Meta alive. He doesn't use the word Meta, but how he does it. And he says, I stand in front of the mirror every day, yeah, and I look at myself, and I look myself in the eye, and you can see he does this with this whole body, he opens up, yeah. And I say to myself, I love you, man, yeah. And my wife, she thinks I'm crazy, yeah. But she doesn't know, <laughs> yeah. So we can find our own ways to remember this, yeah, to remember metta, to bring metta into being. Yeah. to give birth to metta in the world through this body, heart and mind. We can find our own way. Yeah. I love you, man. Look yourself in the eye. Or woman, of course. Mm. So can we see ourselves going forth into the world, back into... Um, seemingly back into life. We never left, by the way. Yeah. And have this image that Nathan and I have been playing a lot with this image recently. Seeing ourselves as a mist of meta spreading yeah, across the planet, across the earth. Each of us a part of that mist. Yeah. Each of us a superheroine of fabrication. Yeah shaping the world, bringing metaphor, living insight. Can we see ourselves like that and what happens when we do? The world needs us. Yeah. Desperately. Yeah. 
The world needs each of us. And it needs metta. And it needs insight. So let's keep exploring this. Yeah. Let's keep sharing these gifts with ourselves, with our loved ones, and with this whole wondrous world that we live in. So let's have a a moment of quiet together to bring this to a close. So what would it be like to live in a world of metta? Can we keep this question alive? Can we keep an each in our own way, to our own degree? Keep giving birth. Keep bringing into being meta insight and their fruits for the benefit of each of us and all of us. So thank you for your listening and your practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.